You may be seated. My name is Dave McCarthy, if we've never met, and uh, I'm part of a rotation of pastors that uh, work from Sunday to Sunday at the Gary United Methodist Church. There's uh, four others. Pastor Tom is a part of that. Olivia and Connor Barnes is a part of that, and then a retired uh, chaplain from uh, Heritage Village is part of that, so every Second Sunday, I get to be a part of that. But I was called out of the bullpen uh, this week, the pastoral bullpen, because uh, fourth little baby Holland has not made up her mind yet when she's coming forth. And so the Hollands are waiting and waiting and waiting and going to the doctor, and he says, not yet, not yet, not yet. So uh, today might have been the day. Still might be. He usually sits right there. Who knows what happened? So... um, you be praying for them as they wait for this baby girl. And uh, we're excited to, to meet that little one sometime. So it was an interesting Christmas season for my wife and I. Sherry is a great decorator all over the house. And uh, the McCarthy side of the family meets uh, usually a few days after Christmas. And Sherry was doing a great job buying gifts for the younger kids in the family system. And then one day she looked at me and she said, okay, I've done pretty well so far, but you have to buy a gift for Brenna. And she is four years old. And I was just shocked at the thought of an elderly man trying to find a gift for a four-year-old. So I went to Walmart and it's a terrifying place. That, <laughs> that toy kingdom is not for anyone my age. It really isn't. And I, they said, oh, she loves arts and crafts. And she loves the princesses from Disney. So I walk down that aisle and see the princess from Disney, and they look demonic to me. I mean, <laughs> those big eyes. And, ooh, and who knew what Brent already had? I, 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 so, um, so I found this box, and it had these squishmallows. And I'd never heard of a squishmallow in my life. But there were six of them, and they looked like little powder puffs. And I thought, it's the last one on the shelf. Why not? But I, I had my doubts. I said, all right, I'll pay the money, and I'll, when Sherry will wrap it up. And uh, so there, there's the little girl, at all family gathered around her as she's opening it. And I'm scared to death. I maybe blew this. I don't know what I'm doing with toys. And all of a sudden, this huge, oh, a squishmallow, six of them, this little. And I'm on cloud nine, and they said, you really nailed it, Dave. (laughs) And now I'm worried about next year. She'll be five. (laughs) So when you see me say, I think I have a plan for you, Dave, just get her one of these Wells Fargo. Then I don't know what to get her next year. But but it's, uh, it's good to be in a family that's stretched out around the world, and it's good to be in a church family. My wife, Sherry, and I, we love this place. We love you guys. Uh, love working with Joe and Tom, and uh, we're glad to be here today. So we're going to talk about 
the famous last words of the Apostle Peter. He uh, wrote two letters. One had five chapters, second one three chapters, in the very, very, very end of the third chapter, when Peter is finished writing to all those that have been dispersed around the known world because of persecution of this church, that church, and all churches by Rome and by Jerusalem also. And so they were everywhere, and he was writing to them. And he had one final thing to say before, uh, a few years before, uh, the tradition is that Nero would uh, kill him uh, upside down on the cross. He said, I don't want to die just like my Savior. I, I want to honor him. I can't duplicate him. I want to just die on the cross upside down. And the Romans seemed to be quite able to do such a thing. But before he died, before he finished his ministry, he said, this one last word in print, he said, now grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, let's pray together. So thank you for uh, St. Peter. Thank you for his good works, what he wrote, what we can do with that, that sentence today. I just uh, lift up my heart and... Uh, May the words that come out of my mouth be acceptable to you and, uh, and a help and a blessing to all those who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've decided to take three episodes from the life of Christ to help us understand, all right, how do you, how do you grow? Uh, growing is important uh, in all realms of life. You've used the word, well, we think it's growing uh, hundreds of times in your business, your marriage, in, in your children, and how you measured them from little to big, and, and all kinds of things you've, you've used the word growing. And now we're focusing on growing in the grace and in the, and the power and authority of Jesus, the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And, and if you've been on the same track that I've been for over 50 years, however many, however many years for you, then you... Uh, you know, you know something about growing in your faith and in, in grace. That's what got you started on this trail in the kingdom of God. That's what's going to wind you up and uh, finish you in your last days on earth. But the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's interesting. Uh, anybody can have knowledge. Uh, John Spong, the retired bishop of the Episcopal Church in Trenton, New Jersey, had knowledge of Jesus, but he decided to tell the whole world that Jesus never was raised from the dead. He decided to say that Jesus never atoned for our sins. He decided to say that there was no virgin birth. And on and on and on he would tell those eager learners over there in Chautauqua Institute. And I was sitting there that day and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, there must be a lot of us here that are so mad at this turkey head for what he's saying about Jesus. He was a mystical uh, rabbi and all the stuff they were throwing at him. And I wish I had done something else. But all I did was go up there and stand in line and wait to be able to honor the beloved bishop. 
And everybody was. They were salivating all over every word that he had said. But there were 400 people in there who had been lied to. As he said, nothing of truth about Jesus. Nothing of truth. He made him some kind of freak out there in the world, starting some kind of kingdom that had nothing to do with God and a, a, a God that could be known. And so on and on he goes. So as I approached my time at the mic, I, I could go in several different directions. I could just start calling them names. I could just start saying, I'd go in right back down, but I had about a minute. And I just looked at him and I said, I know in your books you condemn conservative Christians and you think they ought to repent. And I said, how about you and your liberal friends? What do you need to repent for? He just looked at me and the, the guy that kind of led the whole thing had darts in his eyes and knives in his hands. And he was ready to take me out. But it's that kind of thing that we run into this world when we say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know who he is. And we can catch a lot of people who have a false idea of who this Jesus is. But today, along with everything that you've been doing in your life, everything this church that has been doing in its life to give you and me and everyone else, everyone who watches online still, an opportunity to grow in grace, to grow in the knowledge. So our first look at that is in the Gospels that tell us that we're going to walk with Jesus in his wonderful, wonderful way. We're going to look at, not Second Peter, we're going to look at the scriptures that tell us this how great a God we have here. So the first one was a woman caught in adultery. So Jesus had been teaching, starting to teach to a whole multitude of people at the Jerusalem temple. And he was, he was just about to start in this uh, teaching to this wonderful crowd. And here comes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and they're dragging this woman. And the crowd has to separate because uh, they're bellowing out to Jesus. We caught her in adultery. We caught her in adultery. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I get that. Where's the guy that they caught in adultery? He's left behind somewhere or told to go. Or maybe this was a setup because this was a test. This was a trap for Jesus. They had had enough of him. They wanted to trap him with this dilemma of what do you say to a woman who's been caught in adultery? And they reminded Jesus as if he needed reminding that, that uh, Moses said, if you commit adultery, you get stoned in the middle of the, uh, of the town that you live in. And so they had come prepared. They had rocks. They had stones. They had little bags that they could pass around, like popcorn in the movie theater. Here. And the disciples are standing there, and they don't know what Jesus will do. They know that Jesus can do miracles. They know that Jesus can turn water into wine. They know a lot about Jesus. They know who he is to a point. They have no idea what Jesus would say. And the, the, the teachers of the law, they kept pressing. They kept saying, so what do we do with this woman? Moses said to take her out of this world. And Jesus went down on the ground. He's writing in the sand. They keep pressing. They say, what do you say? And you and I know what he said. They had no category in their minds for what he was about to tell them. He, she, who has never sinned, 
throw the first stone. It was all silent. The woman still got her head down because he could have thrown it. Nobody else, though. And the Bible says that the oldest from the youngest walked away that day, dropped their stones, and walked away. Is there no one here who condemns you, young lady? No. I don't condemn you either. But rise now and be done with this life of sin. A wonderful combination of grace. Because every one of us has had our head down at some time and wondered, how am I ever going to get out from underneath this condemnation? Never should have done this. Never should have walked this way. Never should have said this. I feel so bad. And I don't blame anybody who wants to condemn me for what I've just done, just said, the way I've just acted. We've all been there. But then we've heard this word of grace. We've heard this moment in Jesus' life. Same thing. Stand up. I don't condemn you. But move on now from this life of sin, these thoughts, these words, these deeds. Move on. So we learn from Jesus a few things about who he is and what he can do. In the long run, when you and I are pointing a finger at someone, how many fingers are pointing back at us, of course? There's three. But it's hard to remember that sometimes. And we do have discernment. And we do have an understanding. And we do have the Holy Spirit who is able to tell us that something or somewhere or this person is being rattled by sin. Maybe they don't know it, so maybe we have to point the finger. But we always have to remember that their sin is not greater than ours. That our sin is not greater than theirs. But it is. And so it's a grounded level. A real level ground at the foot of the cross, someone once said. And that's what we have to remember of Jesus. That every time we know we have to point out a sin to somebody. And we have to wait for somebody to point out that sin to us. Jesus is the ultimate judge. And if we're ever going to point, we better be very ready to understand that the condemnation, the judgment can just as easily come to me, come to you. And so we mix a sense of perception, a sense of I need to tell the truth here, I need you to understand the truth, hear about what's happening in your life. But there's real grace and there's real knowledge of Jesus when we take a scripture like this and we begin to see, boy, this Jesus, just like John said, he's filled with grace and he's filled with truth and he never separated the two. So here on that temple floor, we see this grace that lets her stand up and go back into the world. And we see this truth that she moves forward now. And she said, that sin is dead to me. So we learn that. And we live that in this wonderful illustration of how we can grow in the grace. Second place I want us to go this morning for a few minutes is when Jesus had walked into his boat and they were halfway through their trip across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus 
was asleep. And they were concerned as the storm raised up and the waves were taking over the boat. And they went and reminded Jesus that they were about to die. Don't you care? Don't you care? And Jesus stood up and he said to the waves and to the wind, be quiet. And it immediately, a wonderful miracle, a glorious miracle. And the disciples could only form these words. Who are you that you can talk to the waves and the wind? So yet another step for them. They're still trying to figure this out. Another step for how they're getting to know the Savior. They learned something that day. And they're on the way to the Decapolis, the ten cities, one right after another, lining across the Sea of Galilee. And they're getting really close to a place that the disciples are getting pretty nervous about. They're getting very close to where the demoniac of the Decapolis, I could say he lives, but he's really not. This was a psychotic, sociopathic, demon-possessed creature that lived out there, cut himself with stones, continually shrieking. Chains couldn't keep him down. He was almost superhuman, but he was filled with demons. And as they approached the sandy shore, they're saying, Jesus, didn't we want to go a couple miles down the shore? We don't want anything to do with this wild man. And Jesus just walks forward and the wild man is running towards him and the disciples are saying, we can't take this guy on, not the 12 of us. We're done. I don't think, I don't think even Jesus can do anything about this. But he just looked at him. And the man just fell to his knees and started to imitate what the demons would say. What? What do you want with us? Don't torture us. And all those demons came out of that, that wonderful, wonderful soul. So the last picture we have of him, when uh, all the people from town came when all those pigs went over the cliff, uh, the last picture we have of him is uh, fully dressed, fully of his mind. And the disciples thought, we got through that alive. But you know what? In this world and in this time and in this kingdom, Jesus will ask us to go to some difficult places. You know, somehow the early church and the early Christianity wasn't afraid to go to the plague and to start helping people. Wasn't afraid to go to, pris afraid to, go to prisons and to help with these people who were going to die soon at the hand of the Sanhedrin or the hand of the Roman government. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid to go into the dark. They weren't afraid to face the demons. They weren't afraid to face Rome and to tell quite openly to Rome. And so this Jesus who led the disciples to the demoniac and, watched and showed them what he could do against the devil, showed them what he could do in front of Herod, although he never spoke, against the world that Herod represented. This love of pride, this love of lust, this love of the flesh. And Herod had no answer. He started to mock him. Let's put a robe on him. Put the robe back on and pretend that he's really a king. So the world didn't understand him. And the flesh from Galatians chapter 5 says the works of flesh 
If they're bound, there's 16 of them, and they're bad news. And you could read those in chapter 5, and I can read them, and there's a couple of them I want to skip right over because it defines what can happen to me when I decide to live in the flesh. But this Jesus, this Jesus would say, if you walk with me in the crucified way, if you walk with me in the resurrection way, then that work of the flesh is dead to you. And I don't ever have to say to you, you need to get out of this that you're practicing here. It's a lousy lineup of things that we can become and we can do and we can think. But right beneath it is the fruit of the Spirit that happens when Jesus is alive and well in each one of our lives and the Holy Spirit has an open range with what's going on in our lives. So no matter where he takes us, where he takes us to minister, how hard it might be, no matter what part of the world is tempting you and me, what part of the flesh is grabbing onto you and me, there's this crucified and risen Jesus and there's this descended Holy Spirit that knows exactly how to set us free. And so we grow in the grace of being set free. We grow in the grace of living free in the kingdom. And we grow with bigger eyes for who this Jesus is because he set us free. And we can walk anywhere. We can go anywhere he tells us. Nate Saint's son, one of the four missionaries that were going to go down into South America, to work with the cannibals. Nate Saint's little boy, I don't know how he heard about these people that would kill you and eat you. I don't know how he heard about them. But when his father was in the cockpit, the little boy climbed up on his lap and said, Daddy, do you have a gun? And he said, yes, I have a gun. Daddy, if they try to kill you, will you use your gun? And he said, no. And he said, why not, Daddy? I want you to come back to me and mommy and my brothers and sisters. Why won't you? And he said to his little boy, do I know Jesus? Yes, Daddy, you do. Do you know Jesus? Yes, Daddy. Does mommy know Jesus? Yes, Daddy. The people we're going to don't know Jesus. And if I shot them dead, they would go where? And the little boy just gulped. He's crying. They'd go. They'd go to hell. So do you know why I'm going? And I won't shoot my gun at these people? Yes. Because you want them to go to heaven. Yes. He just grabbed his daddy for all he's worth. You're allowed to cry now if you want to. I feel like it. Because that's the, uh, that's the knowledge of Jesus in our lives. We take bravery and we take confidence in God and we go for it. Wherever he leads us. Wherever it is. Without a gun. But we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So every one of these episodes is an opportunity for us to grow in grace. Yeah, there have been times where I didn't know why I was where I am. First time I went to the pastor in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, and uh, it sounded so great. I was so excited being my first real pastorate. Now I was, I was ready. I drove my little white Honda into uh, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, a suburb of the brotherly love city, Philadelphia. 
And I don't know if they're going to win the Super Bowl. But anyway, I digress. That happens when you're this old. We digress once in a while. But I, uh, I knew where the church was, and there was a picnic. They were waiting for their young seminarian pastor to come to them, and I'm broken in half with fear and trembling. And I drive down Kimball Avenue, and I drive right past the church. I'm not ready. You've sending me here, and all the excitement I had, now I'm wrapped up in more fear and trembling. But I pulled into the parking lot after a while and went where God sent me. Stayed there nine years. Then Sherry and I, we went to Liberty, New York for nine years, and then we came to Gary for nine years, and now I'm retired, and I get to come here every once in a while. Every Sunday, get to come here. And it's a good walk with Jesus. And I, I bet if you took your timeline today, you'd say, it's a good walk with Jesus. It really is. You can say that to yourself. Some preachers say, repeat after me. I'm not going to do that. But I'm just going to ask you, just remember all the times with Jesus that he paved the way. The last episode we want to look at briefly is a conversation that Jesus had with Peter on the shoreline during one of his resurrection appearances. Disciples have gone fishing. Jesus, uh, unbeknownst to them, is on the shoreline. He had already fished. He was making breakfast for the disciples. And then he called to them, and they recognized that it was Jesus. And Peter took his cloak off and dove into the water. But I want you to step into Peter's feet for a step into his life for a few minutes. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody that you, you made very upset, you hurt them? Have you ever been in the presence of someone and you caught up with them or they caught up with you and you had no idea what they were going to say to you and you felt so bad for what you did, what you said, how you left them in the lurch? You know those feelings. Oh, I can't believe I have to carry on a conversation with, with this man today. Can't believe it. But they just had to talk in a real way during this resurrection, resurrection appearance. And Jesus just started to ask him those questions that we we're well familiar with. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you even love me in a brotherly way? And each time he answered, and then the final time, he said, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know, for the first time in my life, as I read this a couple of weeks ago, and I've always, you know, pictured that experience and those questions and his answers, and never once have I thought, I bet Jesus asks me that sometimes. Because I tell him and you tell him, I love you, Jesus. But aren't there times where Jesus, and there are glorious times where Jesus says, David John McCarthy, do you love me? I don't think he's being cynical. I don't think he's angry. But he wants to know in my heart, after what I just said or did or thought, he wants to know. A very important question. We kind of put it on Peter. 
And that's where we leave it. But I'm pretty sure saints of God, people of the church, or people seeking to know Jesus. I'm pretty sure, I'm very sure, that there are times where it's the most important moment and the most important question. Do you love me? Jesus says. And it's not for you to feel bad. It's for you and I to perk up and hear the next sentence. Then go and do what I have prepared you to do. Go and say what I've prepared you to do. Go and ask forgiveness. Go and stop carrying that grudge. Go and stop being so afraid and anxious. Go. Do this. I've called you. You're my soldier. You're my warrior. You're my person. And we have to be ready for that moment when we learn about the knowledge of Jesus that just as we say, do you know I love you, Lord Jesus? He will ask us in those most precious, important, critical moments. He'll ask us in the spirit, do you love me? And when the answer is a resounding yes or a repentant yes or a yes, I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's a next point. Then continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. You know, when someone has just found the Lord, and uh, the one that's kind of mentoring them might say, I'm going to introduce you to the Bible. And uh, they say, well, do I start from the first page? It's called Genesis. No, it's Genesis. That's all right. You can't say what it is. Yes. Someday you'll get to read Genesis, but not now. Well, I heard some people read Romans first. Yes, they do, but you're not quite ready for the doctrine. How about the book of Luke? It's perfect when you're ready for the parables. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to show you the book that was full of action, full of authority, full of the supernatural. I'm going to show you the gospel of Mark, my favorite gospel. Because that's where the Romans who read the scriptures, that's where they found the man with authority. That's where they found the man who didn't take no for an answer. That's where they found the miraculous. That's where they found the authority. And they can move from there. And you need to know this Jesus who can do all things. Not too many stories, not too many parables, but you'll get to know the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Wherever you are in the Bible, don't forget, there are four Gospels that whenever you need to return to get better in touch, whenever I need to return to get better in touch with the one who pours out grace to the woman caught in adultery, and we can do that with people down and out on their sins. Whenever it is, that we run into the world, the flesh, or the devil, and we think they're going to overwhelm us. Jesus will be our authority. Whenever we're in that position where Jesus is saying, do you love me? And we can say, with all my heart, I can't stand it. There's nothing like it in the whole wide world. Nothing like it. 
being able to say to you, Jesus, I love you so much. Let's pray together. Father, in your name, in your son's name, in your Holy Spirit's name, we give you thanks that we can grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. We know a lot, we've seen a lot, we've experienced a lot, but we want to keep growing. We want to see the ruler that measures our faith level, our grace level, our knowledge of Jesus level. We want to see that keep going all the way through the roof of the house of God in our house. So give us all that we need to be all that you want us to be. And we're thanking you in Jesus' name that every single day you uh, lift us up when we're in the dirt waiting to be condemned. Every single day when the devil tells us, I've got you, we feel completely released by the blood of Jesus. And every single time we say, I love you with all my heart, we know it's you. And we love you with all of our hearts. Amen.